It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hi, and welcome to the show. Yeah, I couldn't be more amped up today to talk with my guest. Joining me is Mark Roberge. Chief Revenue Officer at HubSpot Sales Division and best-selling sales author, speaker. Mark is author of the great book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, which is a great title to go along with the theme of the show. You know, growing your business in zero time just ain't easy. It requires extreme, being extremely thoughtful and deliberate about the type of company you want to build, the types of people you want to hire, and the processes that need to evolve to make that all happen. And this is what Mark did as he built the sales team that grew HubSpot from basically zero to over $100 million in sales. And today we'll hear some of his insights about what you should do to accelerate the growth of your business. Mark, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Andy. Thanks for having me. So just take a minute, introduce yourself if you could, please. Sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Mark Robert. I think Andy covered the basics. I, uh, I met the founders at HubSpot uh, back at MIT when I was a student and they were a student. Um, you know, it started as one of those uh, garage band projects that I was helping one day a week and and just started to explode from there. I made the first thousand dials at the company as the first salesperson and roughly the fourth employee wow. and, uh, and was tasked with building out the sales team. And, you know, seven years later I had a staff of 400 under me and a big company that was on the IPO path and certainly learned a lot along the way and, uh, wrote a book about it and happy to speak to you guys about it today. So HubSpot was your first job in sales. It was surprisingly. So I, um, you know, I started my career, I, I was a mechanical engineer, undergrad, um, I started my career writing Java, you know, so did a couple <laughs> years as a programmer, and of course, you know, the, the MBA from MIT is, is known for its quant uh, perspective, so right. I've always had this professional lens of, of quant and analytics uh, that I viewed the world through, and, um, and it was that lens that I was intrigued on how it could be applied to the world of sales. So... I want to talk about sales acceleration. You know, there's as many definitions of sales acceleration as there are people who exist who use it. So what does sales acceleration mean to you? Yeah, for, for me, it, it really means um, a, a, an obsession more around uh, data and technology and, and transforming sales to be more aligned with today's buyer. I think when folks talked about, you know, sales uh, evolution and decades ago, it was largely focused on things that can be done at the VP level, at the management level. In fact, that's where a lot of software development had been focused on. And I think a lot of changes have happened recently. Um, number one, uh, internet empowering buyers and, and really giving the buyer more control in the sales process. Number two, evolutions in, say, software models with movements to SaaS and you know an accelerated growth toward inside sales, uh, which has opened up um, more accurate data and technologies that can be used for the salesperson specifically. Mm -hmm. And I think the combination of these trends is really what I define as sales acceleration. So, what are sort of the keys then to the formulas that you laid out in the book? You know, for people listening to this and thinking about it in the context of their own business, what are some of the, the key aspects that you focus on? Yeah, so, so the book really is from the perspective of building out the HubSpot sales team and, and generalizes it so that I think it can be applied to almost any business. So it takes us back to the, 
the you know the first month say at HubSpot where I wrote down my mission statement when I took the role, which was predictable, scalable revenue growth. And for any entrepreneurs on the on the line that uh, are maybe one day trying to raise venture capital, put those words on a slide, and all the VCs will really like it. <laughs> They'll take going, I like this guy because that's what we all want. That's right. And and not so, that we know how to do it, but those are good words. <laughs> so the stepping stone toward how to do it was I wrote down four tactics that I kind of set as my goal in achieving the mission. Number one, I wanted to hire the same successful salesperson every time. Number two, I wanted to train them in the exact same way. Number three, I wanted to uh, provide them with the same quality and quantity of leads every single month. And number four, I wanted to hold them accountable to work in those leads using the same sales process. And you know, from an engineer's mindset, that was my vision for the machine. And if I could accomplish those four tactics, I probably had a high likelihood of accomplishing the higher level goal of scalable, predictable revenue growth. So let's start at the beginning. You, you described a very sort of detailed and thoughtful process for sales hiring and onboarding sales reps. So, and I've spent time with the HubSpot, uh, Andy, I forget his last name, director of trust sales training. Yeah, Andrew Quinn. Andrew right. Quinn, right. And also extremely thoughtful individual. Mm. So explain sort of what you guys did in terms of your hiring process that you set up to try to get that sort of uniformity, not necessarily, you know, robots marching locks to, but people had the attributes needed to succeed in that environment. Yeah, I'll tell you a story that kind of set up a big lesson for me in the area of sales hiring. Uh, it was in the first year, I probably had half a dozen salespeople on the staff at the time, and I made a big hire. Uh, I was able to grab the number one salesperson from a large public company nearby. Uh, literally, they had 800 salespeople, uh, and this person ranked number one. I mean, it was a huge find for me. And I, I was just excited to have them come in and step aside and be like, teach us how to sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just completely change the, the playbook and, and the, the productivity of our team. And it was interesting what happened. They came in, they didn't fail, but they didn't crush it either. And I scratched my head and, and kind of reflected on that a little bit. And I realized, you know, they came from such a different context than what we have here. I mean, they came from this well-established public company brand that was literally running Super Bowl ads, and they had a value prop that could be described in 30 seconds and probably a sales process that was no longer than five or 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't have been more opposite to what the HubSpot sales context was at the time. You know, a no-name brand, uh, a value prop around inbound marketing, which no one at the time knew what the heck that was. Uh, once you got into explaining it, it took 30 minutes just to explain how you go about it. I mean, it was a complete evangelistic sell. Right. And when you compu- compare those two contexts, just logically, you realize that the type of salesperson that's going to succeed in the first environment versus the second is going to be really different. And that that set off some light bulbs for me was, you know, every single, uh, the ideal sales hiring formula for every company is slightly different. But there is a journey and process you can use to uncover it for yourself, right? So um, what I essentially did was I wrote down the 10 criteria that knowing what I knew about our sales context, who we were selling to, how long it took, how complicated it was, how evangelistic it was, et cetera, Mm -hmm. I wrote down 10 criteria that I thought would describe the ideal salesperson for us. And I was very disciplined about you know, defining what each one was and what a score of a one and a three and a five and a seven and a 10 would sound like. 
And I was disciplined about scoring every single one of our candidates and especially our hires against that criteria. And even if you're looking ahead to the next year and you're just going to make three or four sales hires, it's really valuable to make those hires, go through this process, watch those hires come into your company and you know, see how they do over the first three to six months, and then reflect back on that interview evaluation and ask yourself, you know, what is it, what's the pattern here? Like, what is it about these people that's making them really succeed? What is it about it that maybe they're not, you know, they have that's, that's holding them back? And what am I missing from the initial 10 criteria that I selected that should be added in? And that prov- provides this iterative process for you to narrow in on your ideal hiring formula. And, you know, if you happen to be in a high growth mode, which we eventually were, it wasn't long before I had, you know, a couple dozen data points and I literally could hire a statistician to do a regression analysis mm-hmm. and correlating my quantitative observations against success. And let me tell you, when, when you start reaching bigger numbers and you're looking ahead to the next year and you've got to make 40 sales hires, having that level of science and sophistication behind your hiring process is pretty comforting. Well, yeah, it's, it simplifies it, right? Because you're not just going purely on gut instinct or, hey, this guy looks good in a suit or whatever. It's, it's You've got data. Exactly. But the thing that was interesting about the data is that it doesn't necessarily say that people coming from a large public company can't be the right person in that environment, but it takes it out of the context of just looking at the fact that they came from that company, that they might have the skills, and actually quantifying the attributes they actually had. Exactly. And I think that's what's so important that entrepreneurs miss is it's not not necessarily where the person came from, what specifically they did, but what you're trying to hire, what fits your needs. I think you've nailed a really important point, Andy, especially for entrepreneurs, some of which, you know, it may be a founding CEO who came up through product that this is the first time they're, they're exposed to a sales team. And what I find is those folks tend to put way too much weight on where this person's coming from and who they sold to. Exactly. Right? They just, exactly. They, and I think the reason they do it is it's real they're not sure how to assess a salesperson and those dimensions are really easy to assess on. Right? It's like, "Hey, I'm sp- I'm selling to CIOs. This person's sold to CIOs for 10 years. They must be great. Let's go get them." <laughs> That's right. And and you know, A equals B, B equals C, A equals C, right? Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Believe me, what happens a lot of the times is you end up with the bottom half of performers, um, you know, just because you're not sure how to assess people. And if I, am I, if I have a decision between someone in the middle of pack that comes from my space selling to my buyer versus someone from a completely different space, and I've hired people from mortgage brokers, from the yellow pages, from completely different industries, and if, I, if that person's the number one person at that that uh, you know that that plays. I'd take that 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 latter Canada in in a heartbeat. You know, mm-hmm. so but you just have to make sure that you you assess around the right criteria in in their in their true you know sales ability. So the next question then with with hiring is validation, verification, you know, of claims and so on is is obviously you have to pay a lot of attention to that. And that's for entrepreneurs and small mid sized businesses. That's a, a huge hole they fall into all the time. Is that they fall in love with a candidate. And then they sort of skip through reference checks and, like I said, verification of claims and so on. So what did you guys do there to really make sure you scrubbed it out and you got the right people and they actually did what they said they could do? Yeah, let me just, um, let me just take you through the whole process and then I'll, I'll hit on the, ref- the reference checks as well just so you can round out 
So for us, the five criteria that ended up correlating most significantly during the zero to 100 million journey were uh, coachability, curiosity, prior success, intelligence, and work ethic. Those happen to be the five. And in the companies that I advise, you know, I, I find those to be relatively important criteria for you know, most early stage tech and software companies, just because of the context of that situation. Mm -hmm. What we did was, you know, for me, the interview starts when I shake your hand in the lobby. You know, I mean, it's not a huge driver, but I really like it when I meet someone and they've done a little bit of research on me. Maybe they ask a relatively personal question that seems sincere, like, you know, how'd your kids flag football game go? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they can build on those questions and answers in a really genuine way. I mean, that's just a skill that I'm, test I'm testing the curiosity and the preparation right off the bat versus someone who's like, you know, is just kind of shy and it's not, it's not game over, but it's just, you know, you missed an opportunity. Yeah, uh, it's a differentiation point. You know, and then. So I warm the candidate up and I'll talk about, um, you know, why are you interested in HubSpot and tell me, forget about the opportunity here, where are you going in your career, do some, you know, checks on like where they're, where they're headed. Then I'll do some prior success validation. Um, so I'll say, okay, well, I'll notice you're over at Oracle, you notice you're an account executive there. How many account executives are over there these days in this, in this, uh, this region? Uh, there's 179. And where do you rank? Uh, I'm number 12. Like, wow, that's impressive. Is that based on um, last quarter or last year? It's it's last year. Wow. And is that bookings or or revenue or attainment? And oh, it's bookings. You know. So I really want to make sure I hash that out. Mm -hmm. and your re references will validate that. Yeah, they will. Okay. So then I've got a little sense of prior success. Then I'll move into some some coachability stuff. So I'll set up a role play and say, you know, hey Andy you know, you'll play the role of a HubSpot salesperson. I'm going to be a VP of marketing from a local security software company that happened to come to the HubSpot website last night and download an ebook on inbound marketing. And you're going to call that lead. So go, you know, and we'll do that for five or 10 minutes. And I'm watching to see if that, you know, does Andy come in and just, as I call, show up and throw up, mm -hmm. you know, for 10 minutes with like all the information that I could have very easily just read off the website. Uh, or does Andy, you know, build some trust with me and ask me questions about why I downloaded the ebook and teach me a little bit about some of the questions I had about it and start asking me about my goals and you know I'm really getting a feel for their their curiosity. Then I'll start throwing some you know harder questions about SEO at them to see how much Andy's researched about our our area and how much he's learned. Uh, and then my favorite part is I stop the role play and ask Andy to self-assess. And you know if Andy's like, well. You know, if I'll say, well, how'd you do, Andy? And Andy's like, oh, I did awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> I'm not that psyched about that. Versus if Andy, you know, is, is really, you know, introspective about, you know, how they did and some positives and some negatives. And, and then I'll go and coach Andy a little bit and see how he responds to that coaching, whether he takes notes, asks questions, or is he glassy-eyed. Then have him do, redo the role play. So that kind of lays out the, um, the, the actual, uh, that, that, that piece of it. Your, your specific question was around reference validation. You know, I think there's a whole bunch of techniques in there. But I think the important thing is you got to make sure you ask questions that force the reference to give you something besides like, I love them, you should hire them. You know, do they work hard? Were they a top performer? Would you hire them? I mean, it's like this person's probably, you know, been in touch with them and they're going to say nice things. 
like an example of favorite questions of mine with a reference check are things like, okay, you know, our top performers are, you know, they're, they're coachable, they're curious, they have a high work ethic and they're really smart. And I rarely find that top performers are great in all of them. They usually bring one or two to the table and get by on the rest. Rank those four criteria for me, for Andy and why, you know, and that forces me it forces them into a little bit of a tougher response, and I learn something. That's a I great, can, great question. I mean, and I can, if I have a particular concern about like their ego or something, I might include that in one of the options. And if that happens to be ranked lowest, I might dive into that a little bit, and that helped me get some validation around my concern. That's a good question. Yeah, another one that, that I like that's along the similar yeah. lines yeah. is to ask, you know, if you were to give some advice to Andy's new supervisor, what would it be? Mm, I love that. You're right. In terms of how to manage them, how to manage them. Yeah. Or, you know, what shortcomings they need to be coached on or so on. But nice. Not to spin this around on you, but I'd love your take. What, what's your take on backdoor references? I think you gotta, I think you, I'm, I'm really hardline on, on references. So I, I think you need to be able to use any resource you can to validate the claims that people make. Yeah. You know, I think if there's a fact-based statement that somebody makes in an interview, they need to be able to back that up. So mm-hmm. if they say they're number 12 out of 179, as you said, well, of course, you'll be able to give me the name of somebody that can verify that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, you know, people play loose and fast. Yep. And for me, that's a complete disqualifier. Any fudging at all on anything factual is a complete disqualifier. Totally. The integrity factor. Integrity is- factor. From That's, to me, the most maybe the most important of all. Agreed. So the next step, and we'll get into this after the break, because I want to talk a little bit about onboarding and some of the metrics we use as well for, for managing the team. So hang on, and we'll talk about that. And actually, before I go, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to pose a hypothetical scenario for you. I ask this question of all my guests, and we'll get your answer when we come back. So the hypothetical scenario is this. You're a new sales manager hired into a company whose sales have sort of stalled out, and upper management's anxious for things to turn around in a hurry. What two things would you do in the first week that could have the biggest impact. So think about that, and we'll come back right after break. My guest today is Mark Roberts from HubSpot. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at livehive.com forward slash ROI. That's Livehive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash R-O-I. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation free trial of my zero-time selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my Zero Time Selling Interactive Training System is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? Send a text to 96000. That's a 9 and a 6 followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send. And you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my Zero Time Selling Interactive Training. I look forward to seeing you there. Hi, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Mark Robert, Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot Sales. 
So before we jump back into talking about uh, sales acceleration formula, I posed a hypothetical scenario to you before the break. New sales manager brought into a company of sales have stalled. What could you do the first week that have two things could you do the first week that would have the biggest impact? It's a great question. And it's something that I posed to so many of my, uh, you know, so, so many of the leaders under me that took on new initiatives is they always have these long-term views of what to do, but you always have to balance those with some short-term wins and make sure that your bets on the table are at least going to create some of that momentum. Mm-hmm. And one week to make an impact is a short time. I know one thing that I would definitely do is I'd probably start holding film review twice a, twice a day. Okay. So what I'd ask the team to do is, you know, get onto their qualifying calls and their demos I'd get the team in the room probably at like 8 a.m. in the morning and 5.30 at night for an hour. Mm-hmm. I'd put someone on the hot seat and have them record a demo or a qualifying call. Um, we'd listen to it for half an hour. I'd let them self-assess. I'd let the team give feedback, and then I'd give my two cents. And I'd talk about, these are the, this is what I'm seeing in the team, and this is what I want for improvement. And by the 5.30 call that evening, I want a demo record. I want a recording that illustrates that improvement. Over the course of five days, I've got 10 demo I've got 10 film reviews. If, if I'm making iterative improvements on each one of those, I'm going to make some progress with the team at scale. Yep. Um, geez, the other thing I might do, whew, um, I hate to do this because I think too many managers fall into this trap. And basically what I'm going to say is I jump in onto some calls and do some modeling. I I'd, I'd, I'd take the reins on a couple calls and, and try to create some quick wins. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm hesitant is I think it's a huge black hole that so many managers fall into. A lot of them come up through the front lines and they're not used to getting things done through other people and not loose to the their future being dependent on others. And when they jump in and run the funnel, it creates a lot of a, a disaster. It, it causes the reps to get lazy. It causes the reps to lose their confidence and become overly dependent on you. Mm-hmm. You fail to scale as a manager. But if you're looking for just a week of wins, there's ways to do it and position it as modeling, which can be advantageous as long as I'm willing to rip off that Band-Aid the next week uh, once I've shown them a couple techniques. I like it. Great answer. Great answer. So a couple things. I guess one is one talk a little bit about your onboarding process because that's as important as it is to hire the, the right people. It's extremely important to make sure that they buy into the process and get trained properly in the process you're using. Tell us about how you guys did that and how that helped, again, sort of keep you on the accelerated growth path. Yeah, I'll start with a story again in the early days. You know, I, I did, I grabbed coffee because I had no sales experience prior to this with probably 30 different sales leaders in that first year. And this is one of the areas I explored was tell me about onboarding. And, you know, I'll be frank, so many of them were quite informal about it. So, so many of them were like, hey, Bob, welcome to the company. You remember Susan, our number one salesperson. You're going to sit next to her for two months, and that's your training. Yeah, exactly. Or you're going to ride along with her. Do ride-alongs. You know, when I thought back to my mission of scalable, predictable revenue growth, that just didn't feel right. And uh, I was glad those instincts were there for me because as I progressed, you know, the next two or three years, I looked out on the floor, and while many of the sales team that I'd hired obviously fit the criteria I was looking for, I did notice that like so many of the top performers were top performers for very different reasons. You know, like I had one one guy was an absolute activity hound and would just put up 40% more activity than anyone else and you know, he was pretty good at the rest of the process. And then another woman, she was amazing at rapport building. Like all of her prospects loved her 
and a good percentage of them bought from her because she connected mm-hmm. over the phone somehow at such a deep level. And again, you know, she was, you know, kind of mediocre at, or, you know, above average at the rest of the process. Now, imagine if they had trained each other. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. They would have had complete different perceptions of what success meant. So, what I did was I want to step back and create a blueprint. That, that many folks would refer to as a sales methodology that I could train folks on, but also leave enough wiggle room that they could apply their own secret sauce and natural skills as a sales individual, right? So, mm-hmm. so I find three important components to a sales methodology are number one, the buying journey, number two, the sales process, and number three, the qualifying matrix, right? So a lot of people jump to building a sales process. I think it's really critical to start with, with, you know, summarizing your the buyer's journey right. as they think about becoming aware, evaluating, and purchasing your product. And once you've established that, then write a sales process that supports the buying journey. And where possible, define the stages of the sales process as stages that the buyer's the salesperson is going to help the buyer go through, as opposed to just things that the salesperson does. Right? Like I can give a demo to anyone. That's a very common step in a sales process. It doesn't tell me that much about where we are in a deal. No. Why, why, are you, why are you giving the demo, exactly. for instance, right? Right, right. But the fact that I've summarized the discovery call in email back to my, my prospect and they responded saying those details were accurate, that's meaningful. I mean, we're on the same page. We're at the same stage and it's driven by buyer behavior. So, so that I think that's important is have that sales process support the buyer journey. And then qualifying matrixes, you know, the old ones are like Bant. Uh, we evolved a little bit to be customized to our, our business. And once you have those three things, you'd be surprised how that can evolve into, um, you know, a nice little sales curriculum for you um, to teach your folks. And we evolved into certifications and a hundred question quiz. And by doing that, it allowed us to quantify where everyone was coming out of training. Um, the other important piece to training that, that we use successfully, and, and I like to see other companies do it, is you know, appreciating that today's buyer can basically get almost everything that is typically provided in the sales process online right. without, without a salesperson. And really what's necessary to step up and add value with today's modern buyer and practice more of an inbound selling uh, technique is the salesperson needs to know what it's like to be in those buyer's shoes every day, right? That should be one, one of our missions in sales training. Something that we did is every single one of our salespeople started their own website, their own blog, their own social media presence, built their own landing pages, ran their own lead nurturing campaigns for a little mini business that they created in training. And that was a perfect little exercise that, by the time they got out of training and they were on the call with their first business owner or their first marketer, they could honestly educate and almost school them on the concepts of inbound marketing because they'd lived through it themselves. So how would you think about doing that for you know, a company that wasn't in inbound marketing, right? I mean, so maybe selling uh, isn't, isn't even a tech business, right? I mean, Talk about like landscaping. Sure, landscaping. Landscaping. Send them out on the field for two weeks. Have them go out with the foreman. Have them mow the lawn. Mow the lawn, exactly. You know, have them, you know, um, set, build a patio. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to know, they'll be able to speak so much more effectively to that buyer because they've been there themselves. They know what good technique and what, what isn't good technique. 
and they'll you know get to know what buyers really care about with the end result. You know, I mean, if you're selling routers, have set up a little like mini lab somewhere in the office and have them configure a network cluster. You know what I mean? Like these these are the the things that we should really consider in sales training to get these folks to be able to connect with the the modern buyer. Absolutely. So, question about your you know success with the outside of the the revenue growth, but in terms of you know individual successes of the people that you hired and maybe even you know measuring turnover and and turnover in the sense of forced turnover that you know people just didn't cut it. Mm. How did you compare it to industry averages in general? Oh, far below it. You know, I think the the industry averages I've read are are just astronomical. I'm not sure if they're accurate, but I've seen thirty percent. Uh, a year as the average turnover. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were far below it. Um, back in the day, I mean, I, I shouldn't talk about it today because, you know, we're a public company, but like years ago, um, you know, we I tried to keep it in sort of the the 10 to 20% range. I think when you when you fall below 10, I mean, you know, you're running you're running a major league professional team when right. you run sales. And if you're below 10, you might be just a little too soft. You can't be that good at hiring. And, um, you know, if we, once you get above 20, 20, 25, it starts to get pretty difficult to scale. Um, so, so I was always trying to target that 10 to 20 range. And once you had to sort of transfer your hiring process down to people that came, you know, beneath you in the organization or came after you in the organization, cause you were right there at the beginning, though you were at the top of the pyramid. I mean, did everybody buy into it? I mean, how much success did you have getting everybody else to adapt to your methodology for hiring yeah, good question. There's a mix there. You know, I see I see sales leaders who focus on high level processes and really give a lot of autonomy to their leaders, and then I see some sales leaders who are just like, "This is the way it's going to be. Follow it to the T." Um, I was probably a little bit more to the former, and you know, we um, there are certain leaders who just like want to be told what to do. It's like I I I like the blueprint. I don't care to innovate, and right. just took it and ran with it. And there are others that like really wanted wanted the innovation element, and they both had a place in HubSpot. You know, I mean, we, you know, at the time as we grew, I mean, we didn't sell everyone through the same go-to-market channel. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a team that was servicing the the, the large spectrum of inbound leads we had. Uh, we had a team that was incubating a, a partner channel that is enormous. I mean, it's like. 30 to 40% of our business. Right. You know? So it's a, you know, 2000 partners, like huge, huge. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but like a big, big partner channel. And then we had sort of an outbound prospecting team and, you know, the, the folks that were managing those groups, I, you know, they had a lot of autonomy to adapt the, the process. All I cared about was they were following a process that they were taking the time to come up with criteria, they were disciplined about it, and they were they were reflecting on the results. Right, being uh, thoughtful and deliberate. Yeah, but like those, you know, the type of person that succeeded in our partner channel versus our inbound funnel versus outbound funnel varied, and it was important for those leaders to engineer those variances. All right, great answer. So, Mark, we're going to have you back for another episode here very shortly, and uh, we'll go through the rest of the factors that you had in your. Acceleration for sales acceleration for me. That's been a fascinating talk. I want to keep on going. Thanks, Andy. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.